original Red Pill Show. Welcome to a brand new episode. So you believe this is a premeditated thing that they were doing. So they realized that in order to get people enthusiastic about taking this vaccine, the best way to do that was to not have a protocol for treatment. It's not just my idea. Now it's completely laid out by the book by Dr. Pam Popper, the book recently published by Peter Bregan, uh, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. I wrote one of the uh, introductions. Dr. Leaflet and Dr. Vladimir Lysenko wrote the other introductions. These books are basically nonfiction. They have a thousand citations in the Bregan book showing how it was coordinated and planned. Now Bobby Kennedy has his book out, The Real Anthony Fauci. I'm the most uh, mentioned physician in that book. I can tell you that if you want to find the evidence that Moderna was working on the vaccine before the virus ever emanated out of the lab, if you wanted to find the, the collusions and the operations between the Gates Foundation and Gavi and CEPI and Pfizer and Moderna and the vaccine manufacturers and the Wuhan lab and the National Institutes of Health and Ralph Barrick and University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and how all this was organized. If you want to see the Johns Hopkins planning seminar called the SPARS pandemic in 2017, where they had a symposium, people showed up, they wrote up their symposium findings, they published this. It says it's going to be a coronavirus. It's going to be related to MERS and SARS. It's going to come over here to the United States. It's going to shut down cities and frighten people. There's going to be confusion regarding a drug, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. And we're going to utilize all that in order to railroad the population into mass vaccination. It's laid out in the Johns Hopkins SPARS pandemic training seminar. The only thing that got wrong was the year. They said it was going to be 2025. Instead, it landed a few years early. My name is uh, Heer van den Bosch, and um, I got trained uh, in veterinary medicine and then specialized in virology and molecular biology and worked for uh, a long time in academia, did my PhD in virology, and then joined the vaccine industry where I worked for a number of years, uh, as well in late development, very close to the product, as well as in the research de department. I then joined the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, where I primarily uh, was working on new vaccines, new vaccine design to tackle a number of diseases that we cannot currently uh, tackle with our current vaccines. I also worked with the uh, Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization, uh, Gavi, and uh, I'm now working as a uh, consultant for the biotech and I got uh, deeply involved uh, in this uh, pandemic where I have been particularly fascinated by the interplay between the virus and the immune system at a population level and the evolutionary dynamics of the virus, how the virus reacts to the immune system. For example, when we do mass vaccination, that has been my concern from the very beginning doing mass vaccination in the midst of a pandemic of a highly mutable virus and thereby giving the virus a chance to escape, to escape from the immune response. First of all, I would like to say that the uh, COVID crisis has been fundamentally mismanaged by a number of people who thought they would be able to outsmart the virus and its evolutionary capacity by substituting 
insane measures for sound, science, and immunology. So the first thing I would like to highlight is that COVID-19 disease is not a disease of healthy people. People who are in good health have a healthy innate immune system that can deal with a number of respiratory viruses without any problem. So these people can are not only protected against the disease, but they can even in many cases prevent infection. These are people who can contribute to sterilizing immunity and to herd immunity, which is very, very important. So first lesson, never ever allow anything or anybody to interfere or to suppress your innate immune system. You can do a bad job yourself by not having a healthy life. That is going to suppress your innate immunity. But even worse so, vaccine antibodies, the antibodies that are induced by the current vaccines, do suppress your innate immunity. And these vaccinal antibodies, they cannot substitute for it because we know that the vaccinal antibodies are losing their efficacy against the virus. They are becoming less and less effective. And as we know, in contrast to the innate immunity and to the innate antibodies, they cannot, they cannot prevent infection. They cannot sterilize the virus. And therefore, they do not contribute to herd immunity. This is, first of all, very, very important with regard to the children. The children's innate immunity can easily be suppressed by vaccinal antibodies because children are what we call immunologically naive. Their antibodies, they are so young and so naive that they can easily be outcompeted by vaccinal antibodies. Now, these innate antibodies protect young children from a number of several different uh, diseases. So suppressing their innate immunity, preventing them from getting protected against these diseases and replacing this by vaccinal antibodies that have no, maybe still some, some kind of efficacy against COVID-19 disease, severe COVID-19 disease, but not against all these other diseases, is very, very bad. On top, it is very clear, if we suppress these innate antibodies in children, this could even lead to autoimmune diseases. And there are immunologically uh, explanations and irrational to explain this. So this is an absolute no-go. We cannot vaccinate our children with these vaccines. The suppression of the innate immunity is already a problem in vaccinees, and uh, they are going to have indeed a difficult time to control a number of diseases, not just COVID-19, but also other diseases. And it will require a fundamental and a very dramatic change in the strategy and also in the measures to help vaccinees. And really my heart goes out to the vaccinees to help them as much as we can to, because they will need uh, extensive treatment in many cases. Of course, their innate antibodies, because they got trained already, are usually more resistant to the vaccinal antibodies than the innate antibodies of the young and naive children. But nevertheless, there is pressure from the vaccinal antibodies on their innate immunity as well, which means boosting them, giving the vaccinees a third dose, 
this is absolutely insane because what it will do is it will just increase the, the pressure, the immune pressure of the vaccinal antibodies on their innate immunity. So boosting is an absolute nonsense. It is dangerous and it should not be done. So what about now the unvaccinated people? Well, the unvaccinated people, we have three categories. There are the people who have never felt anything, who have gone through this pandemic, had no disease whatsoever. This is the first class. They are most likely simply protected by their innate antibodies that do such a fantastic job that they neutralize the virus right away when it comes in and they don't feel anything. Then we have the people who had mild disease. They didn't, need, they didn't even need to, to go to bed or whatever, but they didn't feel well, mild disease, and it's all well, well described what it is. And then we have people who really had the disease and sometimes even severe disease and who recovered from the disease. And these are the people who are here, right? All these people, all these people normally would be completely protected against the disease. And it can be shown that this is directly or indirectly, I'm not going to go in the immunological details, but that is directly or indirectly also due to innate immunity. Because even people who get the disease, their infection or disease get mitigated by the first line of immune defense, which is innate immunity. So that means that uh, I was saying normally they are protected against disease, but what is happening now? We have a different pandemic. Now we have a high infectious pressure. We have a high infectious pressure because the Delta variant, which is highly infectious, is circulating. And that is, why is this Delta variant dominant? This is because of the mass vaccination. We have put so much pressure on the virus that it has selected the best candidate that can overcome this immune pressure. Because of this infectious pressure, and this can also be immunologically shown, these people have now gotten some pressure on their innate immunity. Does it mean that the innate immunity is completely suppressed? No. Does it mean that these people completely use their capacity to defend themselves against the virus through their innate immunity? No. What it means is that, for example, people who didn't get any symptoms at all may now get mild disease. It means that people who got mild disease may right now get moderate disease. Yes, they may be, maybe be two, one or two days in bed. And the people who recovered from disease, they may experience some, some higher susceptibility to some other diseases, for example, influenza or the common cold. But very, very importantly, they are all protected. They are still all protected against severe disease. And the majority of them will even be protected against a very mild or moderate disease. So there is no, no question that people who had uh, or not vaccinated will be suffering from severe disease provided three conditions. The first condition is that they stay, for God's sake, unvaccinated. They should stay unvaccinated. Secondly, they should take care of their innate immunity. So that means they should take care of their health. People should get rid of their fat they should do exercise. They, they can take vitamins, supplements that stimulate their uh, innate immunity, but they should have a healthy life and a healthy lifestyle. Now is the time to do this, to do this. I swear God, 
if you do this and you are unvaccinated, you will, you will be spared from severe disease without any vaccine. On the contrary, the vaccine would do the opposite. And third condition, of course, in order for this to help, you cannot have underlying diseases. Are we going to discriminate these people? Of course not. Should these people with underlying diseases whose innate immunity is compromised, should they get the vaccine? No, even th these people should not get the vaccine because it's going to further suppress their innate immunity. And we know that the vaccinal antibodies are increasingly losing their efficacy. So what these people should do, they are threatened, of course. And I said they will not withstand the high infectious pressure that is currently existing because of the Delta variant. So these people should still stick to the extent possible to infection prevention measures, and they should be uh, careful about uh, contacts, right? And especially, and this is not to discriminate against the vaccinees, but they should especially avoid contacts at this point in time with vaccinees because the vaccinees are now the people and that there is no doubt about this, who are really serving as a kind of breeding ground for the virus. So we need to have an extra protection for those who have underlying diseases, not vaccinate them, but in fact prevent them from being exposed to high infectious pressure. So, what, so to conclude, first of all, what does the science tell, tell us? Well, the science tells us that it is innate immunity and not the vaccine-induced immunity that is going to protect us. And for those who are interested in learning more about this, uh, there is an interview of mine tonight on the high wire uh, Delbic tree, where I clearly explain this from an immunological viewpoint. So the second important thing is people should no longer be worried about uh, whom I am I exposed to, whom I am I in contact with, uh, can this or these uh, people uh, contaminate me or can I get infected? This is not a question because this leads to discrimination. It doesn't make sense. What we need to worry about is how can we protect ourselves? That is the key question. We cannot avoid exposure. It's impossible. How should we protect ourselves? That's a key question. And the third thing is, I know you guys are all worried about your freedom, uh, about the lockdowns, etc. What you should fight for, the only fight you should have is the fight for your health not fight against other people, the fight for your health, not getting vaccinated. And don't worry too much about the measures that are not, right now implemented, because I tell you, and I'm certain, I'm 100% certain, this cannot last for a long time. Uh, this, this, we see already that the percentage of uh, people who get, uh, vac uh, who get hospitalized amongst the vaccinees is now steadily increasing, whereas more and more with training of the innate immune system, with more exposure to the virus, more and more non-vaccinated people get protected. So, and I'm talking in terms of ratios, not absolute numbers. This will shift and this will lead inevitably, and I'm not a dooms preacher, this will inevitably lead to a collapse of our health system. It cannot be otherwise. So these measures cannot, it's not sustainable. It will not long for a long, uh, um, a long time. So don't worry too much about this. Uh, I would say stay calm. And uh, with that, I'm uh, wishing you a successful rally. But think about this. Es gibt diesen Spruch, in der Ruhe liegt die Kraft. So 
keep it peaceful. Thank you all. For having me. You know, my colleague uh, Chuck Schumer left out one thing. When they were denying that the earth went around the sun, it was the government denying that. And it was an independent mm -hmm. scientist trying to set them straight. So the danger <laughs> is when you let science be controlled by government or by one sort of monolithic individual like Fauci. It really doesn't have anything to do with science. Science usually discovers the truth eventually. But when uh, science is dictated by the government, that's when you get, uh, you know, flat earthers. Yeah, I mean, they seem to love the character assassination and insults, Senator. But listen, as you well know, being an active proponent of uh, God-given rights and liberty, liberty is a zero-sum game. You can't have a big sphere of individual liberty and a big government at the same time. And what's really concerning me, Senator, is these constantly moving goalposts, which don't seem to be grounded in science at all, keep shrinking the sphere of individual liberty and empowering more and more government. And it's not going to stop until we stop it. There doesn't seem to be an endpoint here. I don't think it's been about science for a long time. It's really been about conditioning the American uh, individual to submit to government. And you're right, it never ends. The, the goalposts will continue to change, and ultimately more and more of your health care will be controlled. You know, under socialized medicine, when we centralize all controls, most of these decisions are made by government bureaucrats like Fauci. So if you love the dictates on vaccines, you'll love it when Fauci's in charge of who can be dialyzed. In England, for many years, they wouldn't dialyze you after age 50 because they thought, well, you don't have much left to live and over 50, you're over the hill. And I, I personally resent that now that I'm well past 50. But the thing is, nobody in government should be making those decisions. And once they do, it gets into rationing and arbitrary decisions by uh, little autocrats like Fauci. And it's a huge mistake to let this happen. And we do need to fight back. Talking about your faith, it's offending people. This is for the greater good. We need to separate you from your children because you're not complying. This is for the greater good. We need to hold you in a facility for a little while for not cooperating. This is for the greater good. 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 After decades of intense research, our quest to discover the key to breaking the globalist bonds is now live. The Reset Wars have begun. Start your journey at ResetWars.com today. Sometimes it takes humor or comedy or a parody to put it all into perspective. So one lady decided to take the COVID-19 pandemic, and do her own little rendition of a press conference telling the world how the New World Order global government medical tyranny needs you in these trying times. We need you to stay in your home for a couple weeks. It's for the greater good. We need you to close your business just for a short time. It's for the greater good. We need you to stay home just a little bit longer than two weeks. It's, it's for the greater good. We need you to wear this on your face. It's, it's for the greater good. We need you to wear two of these on your face. It's for the greater good. We need you to inject this into your body. It's for the greater good. We need you to spend the holidays alone. It's for the greater good. 
You must inject this into your body if you want to feed your family. It's for the greater good. We need you to stop eating that. It's not good for the environment. It's for the greater good. We need you to stop driving your car and flying. It's for the greater good. We need you to stop heating your home so often. It's for the greater good. We need you to stop saying that. It's hurting some people's feelings. This is for the greater good. We need you to stop having children. It's not good for the planet. This is for the greater good. We need you to stop talking about your faith. It's offending people. This is for the greater good. We need to separate you from your children because you're not complying. This is for the greater good. We need to hold you in a facility for a little while for not cooperating. This is for the greater good. 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 So that's from the conservative mama. She does a lot of parodies like that. I guess that's really not so funny as it is a representation of the dystopian reality in the future that we're going into. But you see, that was always the trick of communists, that was always the trick of authoritarians, is to first convince you it's for the greater good. So you feel good about yourself. Oh, I'm doing this for the greater good. Yeah, I'm taking a hit, but you know what? It's for the greater good. Until you've taken so many hits, you, you don't even exist anymore. And then you realize there was no greater good. There is no greater good. Everyone around me is suffering. So that's always been the lie of communists. That's always been the lie of big governments. That's always been the lie of totalitarians. And so that's the lie we're being told now. But isn't it obvious at this point? I think so. I think the world is waking up to it. I think the New World Order is dead on arrival. But it's here. And it's not stopping. And it's coming to enslave and kill us all. Man-made climate change tyranny is coming next. The Nuremberg Code is the most important document in the history of the ethics of medical research. The code was formulated 70 years ago, in August 1947, in Nuremberg, Germany, by American judges sitting in judgment of Nazi doctors accused of conducting murderous and torturous human experiments in the concentration camps, the so-called doctor's trial. It served as a blueprint for today's principles that ensure the rights of subjects in medical research. The ten principles of the code are First, the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. This latter element requires that before the acceptance of an affirmative decision by the experimental subject, there should be made known to him the nature, duration, and purpose of the experiment, the method and means by which it is to be conducted, all inconveniences and hazards reasonably to be expected and the effects upon his health or person which may possibly come from his participation in the experiment.
The duty and responsibility for ascertaining the quality of the consent rests upon each individual who initiates, directs, or engages in the experiment. It is a personal duty and responsibility which may not be delegated to another with impunity. Second, the experiment should be such as to yield fruitful results for the good of society, unprocurable by other methods or means of study, and not random and unnecessary in nature. Third, the experiment should be so designed and based on the results of animal experimentation and a knowledge of the natural history of the disease or other problem under study that the anticipated results will justify the performance of the experiment. Fourth, the experiment should be conducted as to avoid all unnecessary physical and mental suffering and injury. Fifth, no experiment should be conducted where there isn't a priori reason to believe that death or disabling injury will occur, except in those experiments where the experimental physicians also serve as subjects. Sixth, the degree of risk to be taken should never exceed that determined by the humanitarian importance of the problem to be solved by the experiment. Seventh, Proper preparation should be made and adequate facilities provided to protect the experimental subject against even remote possibilities of injury, disability, or death. Eighth, the experiment should be conducted only by scientifically qualified persons. The highest degree of skill and care should be required through all stages of the experiment of those who conduct or engage in the experiment. Ninth, during the course of the experiment, the human subject should be at liberty to bring the experiment to an end if he has reached the physical or mental state, where continuation of the experiment seems to him to be impossible. And finally, tenth. During the course of the experiment, the scientist in charge must be prepared to terminate the experiment at any stage if he has probable cause to believe in the exercise of the good faith superior skill and careful judgment required of him that a continuation of the experiment is likely to result in injury, disability, or death to the experimental subject. Medical progress is based on research that ultimately must include studies involving human subjects. The primary purpose of medical research involving human subjects is to understand the causes, development and effects of diseases and improve preventive, diagnostic and therapeutic interventions. Even the best proven interventions must be evaluated continually through research for their safety, effectiveness, efficiency, accessibility and quality. In 1964, the World Medical Association developed and ratified the first version of the Declaration of Helsinki to help articulate ethical principles to be followed when conducting human subjects research. The association's foremost goal for the Declaration of Helsinki was to address ethical complexities associated with conducting human subjects research internationally. The document states that, no national or international ethical, 
legal or regulatory requirements should reduce or eliminate any of the protections for research subjects set forth in this declaration. The declaration laid a number of guiding principles that all research involving human subjects must follow. First, medical research is subject to ethical standards that promote and ensure respect for all human subjects and protect their health and rights. While the primary purpose of medical research is to generate new knowledge, this goal can never take precedence over the rights and interests of individual research subjects. It is the duty of physicians who are involved in medical research to protect the life, health, dignity, integrity, right to self-determination, privacy, and confidentiality of personal information of research subjects. The responsibility for the protection of research subjects must always rest with the physician or other healthcare professionals and never with the research subjects, even though they have given consent. Second, physicians must consider the ethical, legal and regulatory norms and standards for research involving human subjects in their own countries as well as applicable international norms and standards. No national or international ethical, legal or regulatory requirements should reduce or eliminate any of the protections for research subjects set forth in this declaration. Third, medical research should be conducted in a manner that minimizes possible harm to the environment. Medical research involving human subjects must be conducted only by individuals with the appropriate ethics and scientific education, training and qualifications. Research on patients or healthy volunteers requires the supervision of a competent and appropriately qualified physician or other healthcare professional. Groups that are underrepresented in medical research should be provided appropriate access to participation in research. Physicians who combine medical research with medical care should involve their patients in research only to the extent that this is justified by its potential preventive, diagnostic or therapeutic value, and if the physician has good reason to believe that participation in the research study will not adversely affect the health of the patients who serve as research subjects. Finally, fourth, appropriate compensation and treatment for subjects who are harmed as a result of participating in research must be ensured. In medical practice and in medical research, most interventions involve risks and burdens. Medical research involving human subjects may only be conducted if the importance of the objective outweighs the risks and burdens to the research subjects. All medical research involving human subjects must be preceded by careful assessment of predictable risks and burdens to the individuals and groups involved in the research in comparison with foreseeable benefits to them and to other individuals or groups affected by the condition under investigation. Measures to minimize the risks must be implemented. The risks must be continuously monitored, assessed and documented by the researcher. Physicians may not be involved in a research study involving human subjects unless they are confident that the risks have been adequately assessed and can be satisfactorily managed. When the risks are found to outweigh the potential benefits, or when there is conclusive proof of definitive outcomes, physicians must assess whether to continue, modify, or immediately stop the study. Some groups and individuals are particularly vulnerable and may have an increased likelihood of being wronged or of incurring additional harm. All vulnerable groups and individuals should receive specifically considered protection. Medical research with a vulnerable group is only justified if the research is responsive to the health needs or priorities of this group and the research cannot be carried out in a non-vulnerable group. 
In addition, this group should stand to benefit from the knowledge, practices, or interventions that result from the research. Medical research involving human subjects must conform to generally accepted scientific principles, be based on a thorough knowledge of the scientific literature, other relevant sources of information, and adequate laboratory and, as appropriate, animal experimentation. The welfare of animals used for research must be respected. The design and performance of each research study involving human subjects must be clearly described and justified in a research protocol. The protocol should contain a statement of the ethical considerations involved and should indicate how the principles in this declaration have been addressed. The protocol should include information regarding funding, sponsors, institutional affiliations, potential conflicts of interest, incentives for subjects and information regarding provisions for treating or compensating subjects who are harmed as a consequence of participation in the research study. In clinical trials, the protocol must also describe appropriate arrangements for post-trial provisions. The research protocol must be submitted for consideration, comment, guidance, and approval to the Concerned Research Ethics Committee before the study begins. This committee must be transparent in its functioning, must be independent of the researcher, the sponsor, and any other undue influence, and must be duly qualified. It must take into consideration the laws and regulations of the country or countries in which the research is to be performed as well as applicable international norms and standards, but these must not be allowed to reduce or eliminate any of the protections for research subjects set forth in this declaration. The committee must have the right to monitor ongoing studies. The researcher must provide monitoring information to the committee, especially information about any serious adverse events. No amendment to the protocol may be made without consideration and approval by the committee. After the end of the study, the researchers must submit a final report to the committee containing a summary of the study's findings and conclusions. Every precaution must be taken to protect the privacy of research subjects and the confidentiality of their personal information. Participation by individuals capable of giving informed consent as subjects in medical research must be voluntary. Although it may be appropriate to consult family members or community leaders, no individual capable of giving informed consent may be enrolled in a research study unless he or she freely agrees. In medical research involving human subjects capable of giving informed consent, each potential subject must be adequately informed of the aims, methods, sources of funding, any possible conflicts of interest, institutional affiliations of the researcher, the anticipated benefits and potential risks of the study and the discomfort it may entail, post-study provisions and any other relevant aspects of the study. The potential subject must be informed of the right to refuse to participate in the study or to withdraw consent to participate at any time without reprisal. Special attention should be given to the specific information needs of individual potential subjects as well as to the methods used to deliver the information. After ensuring that the potential subject has understood the information, the physician must then seek the potential subjects freely given informed consent, preferably in writing. If the consent cannot be expressed in writing, the non-written consent must be formally documented and witnessed. All medical research subjects should be given the option of being informed about the general outcome and results of the study. When seeking informed consent for participation in a research study, 
the physician must be particularly cautious if the potential subject is in a dependent relationship with the physician or may consent under duress. In such situations the informed consent must be sought by an appropriately qualified individual who is completely independent of this relationship. For a potential research subject who is incapable of giving informed consent, the physician must seek informed consent from the legally authorized representative. These individuals must not be included in a research study that has no likelihood of benefit for them unless it is intended to promote the health of the group represented by the potential subject. The research cannot instead be performed with persons capable of providing informed consent, and the research entails only minimal risk and minimal burden. When a potential research subject who is deemed incapable of giving informed consent is able to give assent to decisions about participation in research, the physician must seek that assent in addition to the consent of the legally authorized representative. The potential subject's dissent should be respected. Research involving subjects who are physically or mentally incapable of giving consent, for example, unconscious patients, may be done only if the physical or mental condition that prevents giving informed consent is a necessary characteristic of the research group. In such circumstances the physician must seek informed consent from the legally authorized representative. If no such representative is available, and if the research cannot be delayed, the study may proceed without informed consent provided that the specific reasons for involving subjects with a condition that renders them unable to give informed consent have been stated in the research protocol and the study has been approved by a research ethics committee. Consent to remain in the research must be obtained as soon as possible from the subject or a legally authorized representative. The physician must fully inform the patient which aspects of their care are related to the research. The refusal of a patient to participate in a study or the patient's decision to withdraw from the study must never adversely affect the patient-physician relationship. For medical research using identifiable human material or data, such as research on material or data contained in biobanks or similar repositories, physicians must seek informed consent for its collection, storage and reuse. There may be exceptional situations where consent would be impossible or impracticable to obtain for such research. In such situations the research may be done only after consideration and approval of a research ethics committee. The benefits, risks, burdens and effectiveness of a new intervention must be tested against those of the best proven interventions, except in the following circumstances. Where no proven intervention exists, the use of placebo or no intervention is acceptable or where for compelling and scientifically sound methodological reasons the use of any intervention less effective than the best proven one, the use of placebo or no intervention is necessary to determine the efficacy or safety of an intervention. Regardless, the patients who receive any intervention less effective than the best proven one, or placebo, or no intervention, should not be subjected to additional risks of serious or irreversible harm as a result of not receiving the best proven intervention. Extreme care must be taken to avoid abuse of this option. Post-trial provisions. In advance of a clinical trial, sponsors, researchers and host country governments should make provisions for post-trial access for all participants who still need an intervention identified as beneficial in the trial. This information must also be disclosed to participants during the informed consent process. Research Registration and Publication and Dissemination of Results
Every research study involving human subjects must be registered in a publicly accessible database before recruitment of the first subject. Researchers, authors, sponsors, editors and publishers all have ethical obligations with regard to the publication and dissemination of the results of research. Researchers have a duty to make publicly available the results of their research on human subjects and are accountable for the completeness and accuracy of their reports. All parties should adhere to accepted guidelines for ethical reporting. Negative and inconclusive as well as positive results must be published or otherwise made publicly available. Sources of funding, institutional affiliations, and conflicts of interest must be declared in the publication. Reports of research not in accordance with the principles of this declaration should not be accepted for publication. Unproven Interventions in Clinical Practice In the treatment of an individual patient, where proven interventions do not exist or other known interventions have been ineffective, the physician, after seeking expert advice, with informed consent from the patient or a legally authorized representative, may use an unproven intervention if in the physician's judgment it offers hope of saving life, re-establishing health, or alleviating suffering. This intervention should subsequently be made the object of research, designed to evaluate its safety and efficacy. In all cases, new information must be recorded and, where appropriate, made publicly available.